Hey there. How's it going? Hope you're doing well. So, um, the, the last episode got a lot of feedback, as I was kind of expecting. Most people were... Yeah, credit where credit is due. All feedback is good feedback. Um, even death threats. Um, most people, I must say, were pretty much in agreement with what I was saying. Um, others had a few questions and there were a lot of, well, not a lot, but one or two disagreements. Um, what I want to quickly rectify in a ways is that with the last episode, the points I made on labels being useless when we talk about mental health, that was in entirely in the context of mental health awareness, not diagnosis. Um, in fact, when it comes to the debate as to whether or not labels should be used in diagnosis or whether mental disorders even exist, uh, I'm just not nearly qualified enough or have the time uh, to dedicate a couple of weeks or even months to figuring all of it out. Um, and that debate is um, in circulation at the moment, whether or not mental health disorders are a thing. Uh, what I am qualified enough to do, as someone who's very passionate about mental health and deals with this sort of stuff, and I go into more detail in the last episode on this, you should go check it out if you haven't already. What I am qualified to do is to offer my own background, my own experiences, and how I wish society perceived mental health differently and the struggles, obviously, that people with mental health issues go through. So, whether you disagree or agree uh, with the points I made is unimportant. <laughs> even if you agree with me, it's, it's unimportant in the grand scheme of things, uh, even going forward, because I'm the type of person to give my own opinions and takes on life uh, without much hesitation. It's not important at all to me to be right, and there will come a time when I say something inaccurate or wrong. Uh, what's important to me is that there's rational discussion uh, using information that's readily available at our fingertips. Um, it's important that we have a discussion, that it's fun, that there's entertainment. Um, and really, I'm just really looking for a, an outlet for my thoughts here. Um, and I do think I made quite a good few points um, in the last episode. Um, that's why, if you're so inclined, you can message me directly via my own private Instagram at Ilya Marsev or the podcast's own account at movie underscore millennium underscore podcast. I also need to mention that last episode was the eighth episode, not the tenth, <laughs> as I had mistaken. Uh, easy thing to do, you know. Uh, these have all started to blend into each other a bit. Um, I also want to point out that I... Uh, Right, you're, you're reading the title, right? You're reading the title, and you're going to think that this is a personal thing for me. I am not a practitioner of BDSM. I don't think I'm interested in it. Um, but that being said, I don't think it should be stigmatized. We're going to get into it pronto with our second horror movie on the list. I said it was going to be a spicy one. It's Hellraiser. So, Hellraiser is a 1987 movie. Quite old. Uh, it's the most recent horror movie I've watched, so that's why I'm doing this. I watched the movie, and the only thing I really got out of it is, you know, BDSM is a, a heavy theme <laughs> across these movies. Not, not overly explicit, but there are very pronounced undertones. Uh, Hellraiser. It's one of these uh, brilliant movies from the old school slasher film fests. When, when we think of old school horror movies, I think a lot of us would think about the big three. 
uh, Freddy Krueger from Nightmare on Elm Street, Jason from Friday the 13th, and Michael Myers from Halloween. Um, because of how weird it is, and despite having a massive cult following, and nine full sequels, nine sequels, Hellraiser never had full status as one of the big three. Uh, there could have been a big four with Pinhead as the equal status member, but ah well, what can you do? Uh, the whole idea of this movie, which is heavily influenced by erotica and pain, uh, as per the title of today's episode, there exists these tiny little puzzle boxes, right? That's the whole basis of this movie. You have a little puzzle box, a person comes across it, they solve it, they open it, and a gateway to hell essentially opens up and out steps old Pinhead, who is like the head demon of hell. And he's also joined by a bunch of his demon cronies who call themselves the Cenobites, or the Cenobites. I think it's the Cenobites. Uh, they step through um, the portal, I guess, and they basically just torture the person that solves the puzzle and whisk them off to hell. It's a... <laughs> Pretty bad reward for solving a puzzle if you ask me. Hard work should be rewarded, not negatively reinforced. But anyway, it's neither here nor there. Uh, the BDSM influences on the movie are pretty much not even covered up or hidden. Uh, for example, like Pinhead's uh, weapon of choice, you know, Freddy has his glove. Um, Jason has like a machete or an axe and then Michael has like his knife or whatever. But Pinhead's weapon of choice is a series of chains that fly from the corners of the room and bound uh, or bind the puzzles the puzzle solver in place so uh, there's a scene in the third movie towards the end where pinhead has the main character tied up and suspended with a blindfold and a gag i mean you don't have to be a rocket scientist to see the hidden message here. Oh, actually, you know what? Maybe being a rocket scientist would make you more likely to miss these connotations. <laughs> oh, somebody cut his mic! Attacking science. But, um... <laughs> What's well, interesting, right? I've only seen three of the nine movies, and I saw them more or less one after the other, is that uh, most, if not all, the characters who end up solving the puzzle boxes have rather strange, sexual, unique quirks. Put it that way. Um, all of them seem to have no qualms with pain. Uh, they're very sexually charged individuals. They're very promiscuous. Um, one of the characters in the first movie tries to bring back a loved one from hell who solved the puzzle box. Um, and to do that, she brought men home with the promise of sex and used them as sort of like a sacrificial totem to the ritual. Or something. I don't know. I, it's a, it's a, it, There's no science to any of this. This is just gobbledygook to me. This is like witchery here. Um, I'm not into the occult. All I know is you shouldn't put metal in the microwave. But many of you out there are right here. Should I? Should I change my language? Rather than saying many of you out there, should I say right here? It's like, would that be more enjoyable? Would it make it like more, uh, more personal, more intimate? To listen to most of you right here beside me no that's weird sorry i'm not doing that you don't pay me enough for that i'm, I'm doing this for free um what is bdsm um i actually knew this this is one of the the few things i i know about bdsm is what it stands for it stands for bondage dominance 
and sadomasochism. I, I've just realized my voice is completely kind of changed. I'm uncomfortable. And when I'm uncomfortable, because I'm talking about like BDSM in my room here, but like when I'm uncomfortable, I uh, get my lecturer radio presenter voice. <laughs> anyway, I'll try and, and, and get back to my normal self. Bondage um, is when you tie someone up or being tied up. Uh, you could be handcuffed, blindfolded, gagged, suspended. Uh, if you think about Fifty Shades of Grey, because I know a lot of you have seen those movies or even read the books. Pure tripe gutter fuel, them books, if you ask me. Uh, if you read Fifty Shades of Grey, I got curious once at this convention. I was bored and I saw a basket of these really old books that were getting thrown out. So I went over and I picked one up randomly and it was Fifty Shades of Grey. Couldn't believe it. I didn't read past the first page, but I'm gonna say it, and I, I don't care what anybody thinks. If you read Fifty Shades of Grey from cover to cover, or all of the books even, you were not any more refined than the old fellas who buy Playboy magazines at the newsagents. You're the same thing to me, but hey, good for you. <laughs> Isn't that passive aggressive? Hey, hey absolute, who cares? Um, that's what bondage is, tying somebody up. Dominance, then, is when you uh, dominate someone during sex. It's pretty, it's, it's, yeah, pretty self-explanatory. I got all of these definitions from a psychology journal article from a psychologist. His name was Scott A. McGreal. So don't be thinking I know anything about this or that I knew anything about this before I got this episode in my head. Um, go point your fingers towards Mr. McGreal, not me. Uh, examples of dominance. I'm back in the radio voice. Dominance, uh, okay, examples. Um, trying to think. Calling the shots during consensual sex, right? Deciding what positions and when. Uh, smacking someone. <laughs> Hair pulling. Yeah, look, there's, there's thousands of ways. I'm not gonna list them all. Um, go Google them. But uh, sadomasochism then is the last one. That's the SM. So you've BDSM, we've done B, we've done D, now we're doing the SM part. Sadomasochism. Uh, it's the sexual gratification from the infliction of physical pain or humiliation either on another person or on oneself. So that's like the the consensual part of all this. You've got the bondage, you've got the uh, the dominance and the sadomasochism part is sort of like the, the enjoyment of causing uh, um, discomfort or pain or the enjoyment of receiving it. It's important to stress, right, that I was thinking about this, right, because BDSM is really only ever BDSM when it's consensual, right? Because this can get very dark and grim when it's not consensual. When it's not consensual, it's just basically sexual violence. And obviously, uh, that's a moral and legal crime. Um, BDSM often involves a very close, uh, trusting partnership between the sub and the dom that's uh sub is short for submissive and dom is short for dominant sometimes the roles reverse but more often than not these roles remain fixed um i've just had a thought <laughs> people are either gonna love this episode or they're gonna tune out from cringing too hard i know how you feel well think about it like my mother is listening to this but i will when I have kids of my own, she's gonna know what I was up to, but it won't be BDSM. But anyway, may, may, you know, maybe, I don't know. Let's see what it's all about. Um, so, the submissive is the person who likes to be dominated or bound and has the pain inflicted upon them. 
and, and this idea again of pain is, is very, very fluid because it could be physical, uh, it could be an emotional pain, it could be a physical pain, of, I don't know, spiritual pain, I don't know, whatever. It's all consensual. And the dominators, the dom's job is to stay within the limits of the sub. And if those limits are pushed too far and the sub becomes uncomfortable, the sub has a safe word, uh, one word that's uttered that basically means stall the ball, enough is enough. Um, people, right, because I was, I was thinking about this as well. I was, I was thinking like, hang on, why can't they just say stop? Uh, let me out of here. Well, apparently what's often a key factor in BDSM, and it sounds like I'm an expert, but this is literally just stuff I've researched. I'm not into this. <laughs> this is a place of education for Pete's sake. Uh, what's often a key factor is the role play factor, right? So with pain and dominance and bondage comes this hint of danger. The dom gets gratification from the control element and this gratification can be amplified by the sub role playing and saying things like, stop, let me go, I'll do anything. You can get the gist of it. And honestly, I think a lot of people might be turned away by that because it might make you uncomfy uh, to be in that sort of situation and hearing that being said during sex, especially how, um, how much effort society puts into educating us all about consent. Uh, if someone says stop, that means stop. But in the context of BDSM, where both parties, I have to stress this, where both parties agree on a safe word, ignoring the safe word is the breach of consent not in ignoring the direct commands. So uh, ignoring stop, let me go, that's not ignoring consent, that's not breaching consent. But once you ignore the safe word, that's a big no-no, right? That's, that's it. Um, one thing that needs to be cleared up as well is that BDSM um, isn't a symptom for any sort of mental illness, right? This isn't an abnormal thing. It might be a relatively uncommon practice, uh, depending on depending on a whole range of factors, like, I don't know, culture, uh, age group, gender. Um, but that doesn't mean that those who engage in it are in any way ill or strange or even sick. Uh, that being said, I feel like there's an intense amount of social stigma surrounding this, um, which is in itself somewhat hypocritical because like you read about people of authority or power um, who who might look down upon this typically. I'm talking about like politicians or like, you know, people in religious institutions where, you know, it gets out, uh, say a politician, it gets out that, you know, there's a little bit of uh, secret life going on behind the scenes, maybe a love interest or something. And you do hear about BDSM-like behavior going on. Maybe not like, you know, bull whips and chains, but at the very least, a lot of domination and, you know, some bondage, I don't know. I was, like, when I was thinking of this episode, I actually remembered when I was a young boy. I was around 10 or 11, I think. Much shorter and much younger and way smarter than I am now in my old age. Uh, I, I remember hanging around the library. I was a, I was a nerd back then. I, I, I hate to admit it, but it was my favorite place. Uh, not so much anymore because college just ruined the ideas of libraries for me. Um, under the stairs at the library, and the stairs used to go up to the restricted section where all the important old books were, under the stairs there was a little stall of neat, um, tidy novels, I guess. Now at the time, 
I didn't realize that they were <laughs> romance novels. I only saw like a, I think it was, on one of the covers, it was a cool looking cowboy holding a busty uh, young woman in a tight dress while waving a revolver around. And I thought, oh, that's, that's pretty cool as a cowboy book. And I opened a random uh, page from there and, and started reading. Oh, it wasn't from that book. It was another book. I picked up a random book and opened up a random page and started reading. And quite quickly, I realized that this book was way too old for me. Uh, like I opened up this page right in the middle of a very raunchy scene between the main character, who was a woman, and she was having intense relations with a wealthy baron or something. But like the language in the book gave away that the baron was in control. Uh, he was very stern, he was very forceful and rough. And I, I even think, I can't remember, but I, I can't, <laughs> I read one page and I got all of this. Uh, I, <laughs> I think he bound her hands together with a belt, but she was loving it. You know, you know, you know, that's a book that I would certainly say has elements of BDSM in there. I stopped reading pretty quickly though, because I was way more responsible back then than I am now. If I could go back, I'd definitely read the next page. But this was in the library in rural Ireland 10 years ago. So while there's a, uh, a stigma, there's enough of an audience for this that my local library had a whole stall dedicated in plain view, more or less, to BDSM and novels that combine romance with danger. Um, just myself, right? I've heard a lot of things from people, even my own age, throughout the years in relation to BDSM that, oh, they must be victims, uh, victims of abuse, or they're going through PTSD or something, or they really hate themselves, or the ones who are doms are psychopaths who love to hurt people. And uh, honestly, before reading into this, I would have thought that's a fair enough point. If I'm being honest with you, I, I don't know if I'm offending people here, but before I read into it, uh, I did think a little bit like that. Um, because when you think of things like self-harm and hurting other people, those are often a sign of some underlying thing that people can go through. But you see, context is important and so is evidence. So I went digging um, and found... <laughs> I sat at my laptop for like an hour. Oh, I was looking for clues, digging. And I found one or two papers published on BDSM in psychology. You know, I wish I was gutsy enough to do my final year project on BDSM, but hey. Um, one paper I found took a huge number of other research articles together and found that it's, it's what we call a meta-analysis in psychology. They found... Uh, <laughs> they got a bunch of these research articles together and they looked at all the participants and what they basically found was that across these studies, people who practice BDSM tend to have significantly higher levels of openness and extroversion. So when we talk about personality traits, uh, psychology has identified, let's just say for the sake of argument, five traits, and they're called the big five. Uh, they're openness, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, and neuroticism. All those letters combined spell ocean. Uh, if you have high levels of openness, just for example, you're confident, uh, you're willing to try new things, you're open to taking more risks. Being extroverted, which, well, we all know what that means. Uh, being extroverted would put you at a higher likelihood of meeting others who are also willing to try new things. So you see how it could kind of work. You know, people who like BDSM need to meet p other people who like BDSM, and they also need to be open to trying it in the first place. And it's not a tiny fraction of the population who seem to practice BDSM or certain BDSM-like activities 
uh, during sex. For men, um, there was a paper that came out from Australia, I think. Uh, for men, they found that the figure is around 2% of uh, men who practice BDSM. For women, it's about 1.5%. But when you look at the population, using age ranges and any example of BDSM activity, suddenly the number jumps up to around 46% of the population who have engaged in intercourse while adopting some BDSM techniques or examples, I guess, right? 46%, it's a big number. I mean, like 2%. 2% is already a huge number. That's tens of millions of people around the world. And but yeah, 46%. When you think about it like that, it doesn't seem so freakish when nearly half the population has po potentially engaged somewhat in BDSM. And when you think of it like that, it doesn't sound so atypical to me. Maybe I'm the weird one. I've done nothing like this. <laughs> I'm only a little old college student. Oh, but interestingly, on the topic of college students, in Canada, they interviewed uh, a bunch of uni students and found that an overwhelming majority of about 60, uh, between 60 and 70% of them had fantasies of being tied up or tying someone else up. So Ireland and Canada have good relations between our two countries. So I don't know, maybe the number is similar over here as well. But again, I'm introverted and I'm never open to trying new things. I've tried something new about three times in my life and one of them is this podcast so it's unlikely just going by psychological science because psychology is a science it's unlikely that i'm among the 70 percent but even if i was there shouldn't be any stigma over this and i'm not but i'm just saying that there shouldn't be stigma okay <laughs> actually you know what just with all of that that we've covered it sounds like not being into BDSM should be stigmatized. But anyway, uh, I know what you're gonna say because I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a mind reader. I know what you're gonna say. You're going to say, well, all right, tying someone up is fine. It might be nice having the control over the action so you can pace yourself and be confident in yourself and whatever. And hey, maybe being tied up and dominated might relieve some of the performance pressure uh, involved for someone and maybe just lying back and just you know letting the other person do all the work would be easier but this whole sadomasochism and verbal and physical pain just sounds way too intense and sounds scary um you know people would ask how is it okay to hurt someone during sex and here is where it gets slightly difficult to explain from a psychological perspective because there's lots and lots of possible answers for why some people are attracted by the prospect of pain. So in Hellraiser, one of uh, Pinhead's memorable lines uh, when he was asked who he was, um, it, I, I think the quote, and I'll try and do his voice, is the quote was, uh, uh, no, that's Alan Rickman, uh, the boy, no, um, demons to some, angels to others, you know, <laughs> whatever, I can't do impressions. Um, <laughs> so he, he, he's basically a demon to some people and an angel to others and it's implied through the movie that those who enjoy the ordeal he puts them under um, they eventually become Cenobites themselves so for most people that would just be torture but for people who might fall into the sadomasochism bullseye it might be pleasurable so the balance between pain and pleasure 
for some is quite blurred. And I think just stemming on from that, like the explanation for why people like sadomasochism might actually have multiple explanations rather than one. I don't know, it's a work in progress because it's kind of, if you think about it from a psychological research point of view, there's very few people that would come out from the woodwork and volunteer for like a study on this and then willingly give away such, um, how do I put this? They, they'd find it difficult to disclose this kind of information. Like, you know, you can imagine some people might be a little bit iffy putting this um, into circulation. Um, where a lot of the agreement comes, though, in, in psychology, uh, seems to be that sadomasochism puts a person in a position of power, and that person who's inflicting the pain gets satisfaction from that feeling of control. So it's not so much they get pleasure from inflicting pain on someone, but it's the power that they have over someone that increases the enjoyment. Similarly, for the submissive person, having someone with total control of the amount of pain they experience seems to be for them pretty important and also pretty uh, cathartic in that, you know, it releases a lot of tension or whatever. Um, I suppose it's just an extra step really in dominance, isn't it? Because like, if one person dominates the other by lengthening the duration or the intensity of pain to eventually intensify and amplify the feeling of pleasure for the other person, isn't that like, just dominance, but with two different strata, right? Uh, I think that's right, because like, like dominating someone, like, okay, controlling the shots and like, you know, um, putting the other person into positions, well, isn't it even more dominating if you can put the other person in painful, painful situations and then control when those painful situations transition to pleasurable ones? I think that's just another step in the in the dominance department. <laughs> the dominance department, yeah. Yeah, sure, why not? Um, another thing I wanted to mention about this, a study found, because like a lot of people will question, like there's a big um, gender debate when we talk about this, not gender debate, but like sex difference debate. Um, and a study found that females tend to be slightly more into masochism. So that the masochism is where you like having pain inflicted on you. So the study found that women were more into that, they'd be more interested in that among BDSM circles, okay? So this isn't all women, this is just women who are interested in BDSM seem to be more into getting hurt or getting dominated than men. And group means for men, I think, were like two and women were 2.22. So that might seem like only a slight difference, but it's a significant one statistically. Um, and that's not all that surprising, because just from my own experience, looking at the, th the first three Hellraiser movies, for example, uh, so far the main characters have been women who are constantly getting hounded by Pinhead and tied up and dominated. And don't forget the library story that I brought up earlier with all the books that were aimed at women. You know, don't forget Fifty Shades of Grey, huh? And the rest of the books. <laughs> literary works of art. Uh, it's not surprising, right? It's not surprising that women who enjoy BDSM tend to become more aroused by masochism than most because there's heaps of contextual evidence to back that up. And on the other hand, a lot of feminists 
who aren't into BDSM might turn around, and a lot have done this, and say, hang on, this is just another example of women bowing to patriarchal desires and systems of oppression, right? And th that seems like a fair point as well, because it's men tend to dominate during uh, BDSM practice because they prefer to on average. So here's where it gets complicated. The study I'm talking about discussed this towards the end of the paper, and it took me quite a while to figure out what it meant. It was in the discussion section where they talk about the results and they contextualize everything and they simplify everything down. Here it is, here's what they said. On the one hand, given that in our sample, men were on average more aroused by sadism and less aroused by masochism than women, uh, on the other hand, our finding that among men, power increases arousal mainly to masochism and not to sadism, and our finding that power also increases arousal to sadomasochism among women suggests that the relation between power and sadomasochism is not solely one of oppression, but also one of liberation, freeing, pe freeing people from genderized sexual norms. That's one giant sentence. <laughs> now, if I wrote that in an essay, my tutor would give me a big old smack. Not in, not in a BDSM, okay, you know, not, not in that kind of setting. I'm not saying that. I go to a respectful university. <laughs> what they're essentially saying, and it took me a very long time to decipher that, what they're essentially saying is that, okay, men are more enticed by sadism. They'd rather put themselves in the sadist position or the, the dom position rather than women. But, big but here, okay. I keep setting myself up here for these sex puns. <laughs> when men have control as subs, or they feel a perceived sense of power in the submissive position, they enjoy the sex more. So, for example, if uh, a man wants to try the sadist position, but then concedes and decides to take the submissive position. If they have power, so if um, if they, for example, control the amount of pain uh, that they experience, or the type of pain they experience, or the language that the dom uses, if, uh, if men have this perceived sense of power, they enjoy the sex more. And the same can be said for women. So uh, for women, they might be tempted to go from the, the submissive role uh, or the masochistic line, but when they're given power as the dominant or the sadomasochist, or the sadist, should I say, they enjoy the sex more as well. So it's not so much, um, sadomasochism isn't necessarily one gender dominating another or one sex dominating another on average or anything like that. It's more about an individual and their enjoyment of power, which is something that I think we can all relate to, even if we're not powerful at all or in power. Um, humans are very drawn to power, whether it's uh, over nature, you know, we want to control nature. We're always trying to control nature. Um, we're always trying to control our little habitats and our environment around us. We erect, again with the language, we build huge um, buildings. <laughs> uh, we, can, we form governments to control people. We form religious institutions and cults to control people. Um, we build um, poor economic systems 
to make ourselves richer. We try to control money. So it's only natural, in my view, that this desire to control permeates the sex lives of some people, right? Control isn't a bad thing as long as it's exercised responsibly. So anyone listening who feels they just want to go dominate someone or be dominated by someone, go do it with someone who's into it. Because as I, as I said before, BDSM is only BDSM when it's consensual. We got through it. <laughs> We're at the end. Um, this is by far the uh, funniest episode, I think. I don't know. For me, it was kind of funny trying to... Like, I'm sort of... I get uncomfortable, but I don't feel uncomfortable. I think I'm just tripping over uh, myself here a little bit. But yeah, that's it. Hopefully you learned something, you pervs. Um, I, I apologize. Everyone's weird to somebody, right? Y you know? So... I'm not going to go do any of this. I'm not going to be thinking about this because, hey, it's just not my thing. But it is for someone. And even if you, a non-BDSM practitioner, doesn't understand it, uh, don't judge someone who does. Um, because chances are, remember the statistics, 70% of people have, have fantasized about being tied up or tying someone else up. You know, you've probably thought about it or have done something like it. So don't go judging people. But anyways, yeah, that was Hellraiser. Not necessarily a scary movie, but uh, yeah, I don't even think I was scared once, <laughs> he says. But I was definitely uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> anyways, you know, take it easy. I'll catch you next week. Uh, no idea what I'm doing next week. If you want to pop in a suggestion, leave it into the, uh, the DMs of Instagram. And I'll try and get around to it. Um, but I'm also working. I'm working now. Yeah, you got a job. Um, I'm working and I've got college, so it might be uh, might be difficult. But um, yeah, anyway, I'm I'm done. <laughs> Take care.